4: Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Sebastian Salik.
1: And a very good afternoon. I'm Roger Hearing. Now we begin with taxes, because the Chancellor has told Conservative MPs There won't be a horror show of tax rises with no end in sight. The reason we know that is it actually was turned up on a piece of paper he was holding as he was either going into or coming out of that meeting. But this all comes amid fears that Britons could be made to pay more as the government deals with the impact of the virus. And Rishi Sunak did say to the MPs that they can overcome the short-term challenges, but the government will need to do some difficult things. He says his focus now is on stimulating the economy.
4: In the short term, my priority is to drive our recovery forward, to protect and support and create as many jobs as possible. But of course it's right that over time we have sustainable public finances. I think everyone understands we can't carry on doing exactly what we did this year forever seen out there, the Chancellor, talking about sustainable public finances as the route forward. Well, for more on this, let's speak to Tobias Elwood. He's the Conservative MP for Bournemouth East and chair of the Defence Select Committee. Uh, Tobias, to you, what level of tax increase would be appropriate here? Clearly, we're going to need something to move to the next phase of the virus recovery.
2: We are indeed. In fact, there are two phases we need to consider. Um, the first is this uh, new normal taking us to the place where uh, a vaccine is then uh, procured and uh, is then distributed. And that really does liberate our economy completely from the constraints of social distancing and everything else that we're currently affected by. And until then, we're going to be uh, considerably restrained on what we can actually do. So there are obviously uh, concerns about whether we should be extending furlough schemes and so forth to lead us to that point. And then what should then happen afterwards? We've got a budget coming up in November. We'll get clarity of where we're going. But as you implied during your introduction, there's obviously lots of murmurings from the Conservative side as to, are we going to repeat some of the decision-making that took place after 2008, 2009, that big recession there, which had a huge impact, a long time to recover? Or can we think of cleverer ways of firstly allowing our economy to recuperate, as I say, up to that vaccine, and secondly, actually expand our markets, because don't forget, lots is actually happening in the UK as to where we're focusing our attention. We've got deals potentially with the United States, with Japan and, and elsewhere, the EU. We're not sure where that's going to go. And then, of course, we've got new markets that we could pursue in other parts of the world. So much to consider, much, much to talk about, but also yeah. much to be concerned about. That don't repeat these old mistakes.
1: Well, yes, and as you say, much potential, but the fact is we don't know what any of this is going to do. We don't know the duration uh, of, of the virus, and there's a huge bill building up, £2 trillion at the moment in terms of uh, of the public debt. It's got to be paid down somehow, and, I mean, trade deals aren't going to cut it. It's got to be
2: tax rises, hasn't it? Well, it, that depends on whether or not you could actually, actually have a Marshall Plan of some form that recognises that this does need to be paid back, but these are unprecedented circumstances, not just affecting the UK, but every other country as well. So, what can we see as an international agreement that would allow us to actually repay this money back in in, in a much in a, in a longer period of time, allowing that economic recovery? But at the moment, the discussion must be uh, about how we can support businesses, protect jobs in this new normal, leading up to the point where a vaccine is actually procured.
4: So you wouldn't rule out then an extension of furlough or similar support, that the chance has been quite clear that will end in October, at the end of October?
2: You know, the difference between this and, and perhaps other uh, tests of our of, uh, economy is the fact that we are going through this with other countries as well. So we can see what's happening there. And we are aware that Germany, France and other countries are absolutely looking at this. So, you know there's three aspects to the testing of this pandemic one is obviously the nation's health itself making sure that we are all well and uh, have the support that we're required if we get ill secondly is that economic intervention to save jobs to and businesses as we've spoken about thirdly is the consensus of the nation to follow the rules and want to work together to get through this those are the three dimensions to this challenge that the ne- that the government, uh, Uh, must confront. And it's only through uh, national consensus are we able to encourage people to actually get back to work at the moment, the moment people are still hesitant to either go back to work or school. So there must be this resilience, this determination, uh, the leadership of government to say we can actually get through this and this is the plan. Um, We're yet to hear what that plan is. As I say, we'll get more details in the November budget.
4: But but to be clear, you would support an extension of furlough. You say that we've got to follow what European nations are doing. And indeed, that is the pattern we're seeing in a lot of countries on the continent.
2: I, I, I would like to see something along those lines. One thing I would uh, commend the Treasury for uh, is their openness and willingness to think outside the box. This isn't something the Treasury normally is, is you know has a reputation for. It's normally quite uh, risk averse. It's very assured, but it takes a long time to change things. This um, pandemic has actually seen the Treasury come up with quite dynamic and innovative uh, products, fiscal products, to support uh, businesses, to protect the economy. They've been copied around the world. So it could very well be that there'll be other imaginative um, uh, stimulus packages that are put together, which will allow businesses um, the facility uh, to, you know, whether it's extensions or more tax holidays and so forth, to ensure that they are not pressured I, i've been working closely for example with the veterans charities and many of them you know may fold because they're not getting the support packages they need and i put that through to the treasury let's see what they come up with i, I do ex- I, I do know the treasury is very conscious that we do need answers uh but i'm also confident that they will come up with with something in, in the very very near future
1: uh, Tobias, let me move you on to a different subject. Would you talked just now about uh, the for a national consensus, but a lot of people, even within the Tory party, I think are finding hard to find out what that consensus is when the government seems to change its mind every few minutes. And I, I've heard from some of your colleagues, uh, Charles Walker being one of them on the 1922 committee, there's a bit of dissatisfaction simply in terms of not seeming to have a steady hand on the
2: tiller at number 10. Is that your impression? Well, uh- There's two ways I'd look at this. One is is the fact that, you know, talk about the plate spinning in number 10. Uh, uh, Government is tough at any time. I would actually like to see the response to the pandemic separated from the daily operations of government because we're blurring between policy creation and uh, then the delivery, um, the actual operational side um, of the response to COVID-19. And I'd like to see, uh, you know, us move to more of a war footing, uh, for the uh, decision-making to do with the pandemic taken away from policymakers who actually have no training in emergency planning or resilience and, and, and strategic response, um, that would then mean that you'd get clarity of message. So, But ultimately, I would defend the government in one sense because it's the same across the board. If Portugal or France, the numbers per 100,000 jump up, we have no choice but to then change our travel advice to that location. Um, and likewise, if there is an outbreak in Leicester or Bolton, we have no choice but to alter uh, the, uh, the situation around that area, in that locality. I would encourage Number 10 to return to the regular Number 10 briefings because they were very helpful going again to keeping the nation informed, to keeping us all together, uh, to have a single voice of authority telling us, informing us as to the changes um, as we advance. Because, as I say, this is the new normal. Uh, and until there's a vaccine, uh, we won't be able to get back to the life that we re- that we remember.
4: Yeah. Tobias, I've got to get you on the defence brief as well while you're around. Uh, you're, of course, the Select Committee Chair. One of the d- debates uh, current is whether to send an aircraft carrier to the South China Sea. Now, this is something seen as quite contentious for various reasons. What is your take on this? Should we be doing this?
2: Um, you know, This is a tactical decision, sending an aircraft carrier to the South China Sea. Step back from that and say, why are you sending aircraft carriers at all to that particular part of the world? It's because we're seeing a far more aggressive China uh, take advantage uh, of its, uh, the absence, if you like, the vacuum of of, uh, uh, military support in what are actually essentially international waters to take over territorial claims um, and surround Taiwan. So that is the bigger picture that we, we must address, not just us, but the international community. We hoped China would mature over the last 10 to 15 years into a global responsible statesman. We've we've sort of uh, glossed over perhaps some of the the, the, uh, concerns we've had with this country, but clearly uh, they've been exposed during this pandemic to uh, pursue a very, very different agenda. There are many countries that are trapped in debt because of their one belt, one road programs. They're trapped into technological programs they can't get out of. That means that they can no longer be critical of China and we are sliding towards a bipolar world. So these are the bigger strategic questions for which sending an aircraft carrier would be one of many tactical responses.
1: But a very small one, briefly, Tobias. I mean, do we really
2: even matter in that part of the world these days? I predict we're heading towards a Cold War on the current trajectory. And Britain is just one voice. We can't do this alone. We can actually provide the thought leadership, uh, which we normally, saw so there's a division belt going on, on here so forgive me um <laughs> we could provide the thought leadership that is happening here because we're not seeing it so much in the united states but we need it's the alliances that are important to stand up to china china relies on the rest of the world for trade let's make sure that we actually enforce our our rules our norms our standards far more vigorously than we have uh, to date we've not done that if we do so china will more likely to to uh uh, to um, move into line, but at the moment, it's taking full advantage yeah. of the fact that nobody is willing to stand up to China.
0: The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum, powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar, and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state. Influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at cuttereconomicforum.com.
4: Let's have a look at what else is making news in the world of politics and we start with British tourists in Portugal paying hundreds of pounds to fly home early fearing otherwise they're going to have to self-quarantine for 14 days. The country could have new restrictions imposed on it today because of a rise in cases. Here is what the Health Secretary Matt Hancock had to say.
3: People should look at the data but also should only travel if they are prepared to quarantine. Frankly, if the virus goes up when they're in that country unfortunately we do have to take these decisions to keep people here safe
4: and of course all this is happening with each of the unions making their own decisions scotland and wales already imposing restrictions on greece and england may enforce similar measures too i feel like every time one of these happens you get a lot of very unhappy holiday making it onto the airwaves and giving the government a bit of a hard time
1: Yes, probably not the year to travel abroad, in a general sense. But uh, let's talk about testing, because that's the key to all this, of course. And the government is spending half a billion pounds on new trials of a 20-minute test. The government's former chief scientific advisor, Professor Sir Mark Walport, says the new tests could ramp up mass screening and help us to get back to a more normal way of life.
3: If we're going to identify cases, then we need to be able to test people, and we need to test as many people quickly and effectively as we possibly can. But it's absolutely critical that the tests are good tests,
4: which is why they do need to be trialled. Yeah, some questions there. That was uh, Professor Sir Mark Walpott, the Chief Scientific Advisor, talking about this new scheme, which is very exciting. It could bring to an end this uh, sort of inertia that we're in and allow people to go about their daily lives a bit more. But then you have the issue that the te- technology perhaps isn't quite there yet. And we don't know how quickly it can be scaled. So lots of question marks still around this, but very ambitious. That's what we like to see. Uh, And then we've got this story from uh, the Mayor of Greater Manchester, Andy Burnham. He's arguing councils with high virus infection rates should be given charge of their own tested trace efforts. So Burnham appealing for the powers after this U-turn by the Health Secretary on a decision to lift lockdown restrictions in Bolton and Trafford. They were meant to lift those yesterday. They then said they weren't going to. Council leaders had called for the ban on households mixing to be maintained and thought they had been over ruled until then the house secretary changed his mind so a very confusing array of events there and another u-turn from the government
1: Yes, and meanwhile, what about all the things we normally do with our lives, Uh, events like getting married, I suppose? Well, perhaps you could soon be able to get married on the beach or in a forest, because couples could be free to do that if proposed changes to wedding laws are accepted. Now, the Law Commission, which is reviewing all this, is aiming to reduce the cost of ceremonies by allowing couples to marry at home or in more modest community venues. But, of course, in the event of another pandemic surge, marriages could even be celebrated remotely over a video conference link. Doesn't sound too romantic to me. But anyway, civil marriages can currently take place in certain approved premises other than churches, register offices, such as hotels, theme parks, that kind of thing. So anyway, these are the ways in which marriage could change.
4: Yeah, I should say, though, that this is a law commission re- report and it's not anywhere near making it to law yet. So don't pop the question maybe just yet if you want to go and get married on the beach. I quite like the system in France where they go to the, the Mary and the, um, the mayor does the whole ceremony, which is yeah. definitely something we should think about here.
1: Well, that's part of the secular state, which I think we're still quite a long way from in this country. Yeah. But anyway, let's talk about another state, and that state is China. We heard from uh, Tobias Elwood, of course, MP, in the last uh, part of the programme, talking about what Britain should or could do to put pressure on China at the, this point. And I want to continue that conversation with Kerry Brown, who's Professor of Chinese Studies at King's London, also Director of the Lao China Institute. Kerry, thanks very much for being with us. Um Tobias Elber was talking about the ways in which pressure could be brought, possibly by Britain sending an aircraft carrier, joining with other nations in trying to curtail China's ambitions in the South China Sea. Does that make sense, or is China just determined to do this whatever?
3: Well, I mean, Britain on its own, obviously, is very, very limited. Uh, Britain, in concert with others, particularly the United States, yeah, I mean, maybe it will uh, restrain some of China's more aggressive moves recently particularly uh, towards taiwan the south uh, and east china sea it's a complex area and you know it, it's very uh, difficult for the uk to have the capacity to really have a big impact there and also it sort of raises questions about you know what is the end game i mean china has a strategic space it wants around it it's not entirely clear what it, the limits of its ambitions are and therefore, you know, kind of if you don't really understand what China's own endgame is, uh, it's difficult really to kind of have a totally accurate response because you're often sort of just preempting and speculating.
4: What about this grand plan that the UK talks about quite a lot with Brexit making trade deals and other sort of economic partnerships with big economies. I mean, the world's second biggest economy sounds like it's implicitly on that list, yet we have all of these issues, Huawei, Hong Kong, TikTok. I mean, politically, where does that sit alongside these economic aspirations of of closer partnerships?
3: Well, I think Brexit was predicated on uh, global Britain and therefore having good, solid trade links and investment links with the second biggest economy in the world, China, was presumably part of that. I mean, now things have really changed. The American uh economy is obviously suffering, as a lot of other economies are. It seems the Chinese economy is doing slightly better. Uh, and therefore, as the UK goes into this very difficult economic situation uh, where there may be, uh, you know, kind of deep recession, there may be big job losses. Uh, it's really questionable how you can maintain a hard kind of security stance or, or a hard sort of push against China in the areas you just mentioned and yet also want, on the other hand, to have, you know, better, more flourishing trade and investment links with it. I mean, the bottom line at the moment is that China is not as big an economic partner in the UK as it could be as the world's second-biggest economy, and it's also got other options in where it can go, whereas the UK's options are somewhat more limited.
1: Now, that that's a very interesting point, because to, to a lot of people that rings true that, in a way, Perhaps Britain is not that important to China uh, and, and to some extent could be taken or left depending on its wider ambitions. I mean, get, do you get a sense of what the view is from Beijing about Britain right now?
3: I think the view is that Britain matters, but it mattered differently when it was part of the European Union you know, economically uh, and as a trade area. Uh, Now, I think there's niche things that China looks for in the UK and in the finance centre in London, potential investment opportunities, because until recently we regard regarded as being relatively liberal and open, uh, and also intellectual partnership. As you probably saw yesterday, uh, you know, the Times Higher Educational Supplement list of world universities, Chinese universities are the big winners at the moment, rising into the top 20, many of them. China uh, as an intellectual and a, a kind of technology power is significantly advancing. And so in all of the areas I've just mentioned, even by this year, you know, it's changed. China's interests have become slightly less intense and the UK has slightly receded in its kind of view.
4: What about China's human rights record? You've got a lot going on in the west of the country with its treatment of the Uyghur people. Um, How big a bearing will that have on the international plane when other countries are thinking about doing business and forming political ties with China?
3: Well, it means that you have to be very careful where you do business, how you do business, and transparency. I, I mean, I think it's pretty clear now that the issues in Xinjiang uh, and in Hong Kong uh, and in other areas of China are serious. Uh, they are not likely to go away. The Chinese government has shown no real desire to change or back down. And therefore, you, you know, you either completely avoid dealing with China, which I think is pretty nearly impossible now or you make very clear where you're going to deal, how you're going to deal, and you have real transparency and a kind of decent dialogue with China. I think COVID-19 has created a big change there. You know, I think that uh, people who deal with China need to be much more careful, much more aware of the dangers, but they also need to pragmatically recognize that not dealing with China carries pretty colossal Mm -hmm. costs too. It's a really tough decision. I do understand that. Politicians and business people and others all in an un- unenviable position, but that's the reality. We can't oversimplify
2: this.
1: What about, again, Beijing's position on this? How worried are they about the new Cold War, as people are turning to describe it? Do they, in the end, care to the extent that they change the way they do things, or are they remaining defiant? Well, if the world doesn't like us, so what?
3: Well, from their behavior recently, I think they're playing a long game, and they see a, a kind of significant weakening of america and europe uh, the west if you call it more broadly and i think that they feel uh, that their position is relatively solid at the moment so we don't see any evidence of them backing down on particular issues i think they're not in the interest i mean they're not in the business of backing down will that lead to a really really terrible escalation i mean there's always that risk uh, the issue i guess is that in the cold war You know, kind of there wasn't this massive integration between the USSR and the outside economies. There wasn't supply chain links. There weren't kind of finance links, this sort of deep integration, whereas China is pretty central to the global economy. And so I think it's very aware of that. And it means that it's not easy to just totally segregate these two parties, you know, the China and the outside world. Uh, They are part of each other and they're going to need a much more complicated response, which is going to take a long time to sort out.
4: Finally, I've just got to ask you about TikTok. I mean, it's having a huge play over here with the, the London HQ and you've got the story over in the US with the assets there. You're looking to get snapped up by some giants. I've got to say I'm a, a, a guilty partaker in a bit of TikTok every now and then. How nervous do we have to be about Chinese state involvement with this company and with this app?
3: Well, I, I mean, so uh, there are lots of fears that it's, uh, you know, kind of uh, it's a security issue. But there's not a lot of clarity about what kind of security issue it is i mean people in many many places including the uk are fearful and worried about china and yet there isn't really consensus on what they're fearful and worried about i mean china is a, a kind of problem for sure but we need to all be clear on what kind of problem it is to me yeah. i don't think it is likely to be the new united states coming and dominating things but it is going to come and complicate, complicate yep. things and it is very self-interest in its behavior
1: Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London.
0: From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang.